Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode number one of the Review Point podcast, coming to you from fanboysanonymous.com. I am your host, the man who calls the shots over at Fanboys Anonymous, Tony Mango. And with me on the panel tonight, we have one of my fellow fanboys, Sam Lassio. One and done. <laughs> if you're unfamiliar with how Review Point works, it's pretty simple. We break down whatever it is in our sites for this episode and review whether or not it was a hit or a miss breaking down the positives and the negatives in that kind of a fashion. You know the gimmick. We like to do stupid little puns, and, or at the very least, I like to do stupid little puns. <laughs> so I do as many of them as possible, and that's what's going to happen here. That's why I'm going to say the next sentence here, because our target for this edition is X-Men Days of Future Past. We just came back from seeing the movie last night, a little bit less than 24 hours ago, and uh, the review is on fanboysanonymous.com if you're interested in seeing some of my breakdown of the hits and misses and all that but we're going to start doing these in podcast form as well so that's going to take a little bit out of the group meetings but we're going to still be doing the group meetings and we're going to do all the other podcasts as well we're going to get as much as uh, possible for the fanboys anonymous stuff out there so review point is another thing that we love and we're going to be doing this from now on so now that that's all thrown out of there X-Men Days of Future Past. As I said, we just got back from seeing the movie. And in general, everybody that I saw it with thought it was very cool. I didn't really hear that many complaints throughout the audience. I heard some people that were confused about stuff, but (laughs) we'll talk about that as we go along here. Uh, So this is going to be a very positive one. And there doesn't seem like there's going to be that many misses. There's going to be a lot of hit stuff here. But we are going to talk about some misses along the way as well. And what you should take as a grain of salt here, sometimes a miss necessarily isn't something that's horrible. It's just something that they didn't execute 100% well. And sometimes a hit is something that's just barely a hit, and it's not something that really knocked it out of the park either. So hits and misses, no middle ground. You have to just decide between whether it was good or bad. And we're going to break these down into a couple of different huge categories and then subcategories underneath there. We're going to start off with the plot and keep things around storytelling for right now. Uh, general synopsis, if you're not aware of this movie. By the way, there are going to be spoilers in this podcast. So if you haven't watched the movie yet and you are worried about spoilers, bookmark this. Check it back later after you've seen the movie. And uh, then you'll know what we're talking about. But general basis of this movie was a comic book, a two-issue comic book from uh, the X-Men series that dealt with time travel. And in the comics, it is Kitty Pride who goes back in time to stop the assassination of Senator Kelly. And then that turns into this dystopian future where not only are mutants being hunted down, but a lot of humans are as well. For this film, they decided to change that up a little bit, and in a good way, uh, I'm going to spoil my, that that's a hit right here, but uh, in a good way where they didn't make the principal character Kitty Pride, they made it Wolverine. The reason why they went with Wolverine in the story universe itself, and not just because Wolverine is you know the main character from the series, is because they needed somebody who could withstand the time travel and be able to heal. So that actually is something that I wanted to talk about first. The idea of putting Wolverine in that position, I thought was brilliant. That was so smart of them. Because it it not only does accomplish that idea of Wolverine being 
the main character of this whole thing. And even though people complain about too much Wolverine, they just don't get the same reaction if they were put like Kitty Pride in there. Mm-hmm. I loved that idea. I thought that that was such a smart way of getting around it where it's justified instead of just like, well, we wanted to go with Wolverine because, okay, well now they have a built in reason to go with him. And he actually would have had so much more of um, an interaction with the different kind of characters than like, what would Kitty have done? Kitty wouldn't have done crap. Somebody pointed out, and I can't remember who it was. I'm sorry. I can't give you credit for it, but they said it wouldn't have made any sense anyway, because Kitty wasn't born in this time period. Yeah. So she'd be like negative five years old, negative 10 years old, whatever the case may be, which is ridiculous. So they couldn't do that. Um, they made it consciousness rather than a physical body going back in time. Right. So you needed to have somebody that was rooted in that time period. Right. And Hugh Jackman doesn't look that much different than what he's looked in the other movies, despite all the time period that's passed. So he was still able to pull that off instead of needing to recast or anything like that. Mm-hmm. I thought that that was a great way to to sort out this movie. And um, when it comes to that thing, that's a total hit for me. Yeah, definitely, yeah. Kitty just wouldn't have had the same audience grab that Hugh Jackman as Wolverine has. No, not at all. She wasn't even that big a part of the movies anyway. I think the biggest thing she ever contributed to those movies was calling um, Juggernaut a dick. (laughs) And then, of course, his I'm the Juggernaut bitch, which was by far the best part about X-Men 3. Yeah. (laughs) Which is really a shame because it shouldn't be. Just <laughs> <laughs> that one line was the only redeeming quality of that whole film. It's like, oh, did you like Psylocke? No, she sucked. Oh, did you like uh, Quill? Who the fuck is Quill? Uh, well, you know, they went out of the way to add him into the movie, make him a decent uh, part of the film. And what about the Phoenix story? No. What about the Cure? No. no. What about Beast? Uh, he was okay and all that. But that Juggernaut bitch line. <laughs> yeah. That was a hit. That was like one of the only hits in that movie. <laughs> God, yeah, if, if you want to do, uh, if this is a, a whole set of hits for this movie coming up in this podcast, we should do one of Last Man, uh, or Last Stand. That'll just be all misses. <laughs> no pros at all. Right. But um, outside of the Wolverine uh, aspect of the storyline, since that's a hit for both of us, the time travel idea itself, that is something that, I could have scoffed at at the very beginning if I didn't already know that this was a story that they were doing in the past. Mm-hmm. And I was a fan that grew up with the 90s animated series. So, of course, I already witnessed Days of Future Past through that. Um, and I remembered distinctly Bishop as being a future guy that he was always tied to the future. Um, so I was a little bit familiar with it. I actually have never read the two comic books that were based off of this. I really kind of want to do that now, though. Yeah, I hadn't either, but I'm, I'm interested. But still knowing that Kitty would be the main focus, not too interested. Right. I mean, I like a lot of different X-Men characters, but if I'm perfectly honest, even though the X-Men series is my third favorite superhero series out there, number one being Batman, number two being Spider-Man, um, actually, I don't know, maybe Superman might have edged out X-Men by now. Either way, tied or close to it with number three. Um, there aren't many, many X-Men characters that I really am that interested in for 
too much. They're all just ensemble people. Like, I really like Nightcrawler, but mm. I do not want to see a full Nightcrawler movie. Or I like Gambit, and I don't want to see a full Gambit movie. There are very few characters you could give their own film. Right. Especially because they, I mean, it's like trying to say, let's give Mr. Fantastic his own movie, or let's give Human Torch their own movie. I mean, they work together as the X-Men. I mean, you get popularity with some of them, like Wolverine, where he can have his own films. But that's mostly because, at least I think, Hugh Jackman played most of that. Where right. just you take Wolverine as the comic book character. I mean, he's supposed to be like five foot two and hairy and a jackass. So I mean, <laughs> if you put like that caveman-looking Logan into film as he is portrayed in the comics you're probably going to lose a lot of that. And I think once they end up recasting him, you're going to start to see Wolverine die down a little bit. Probably at least a little bit. Yeah. But he's one of the only people that could actually withstand his own film. And even when it comes to not even just having their own film, but just being a principal character of it. I mean, like you said, you brought up uh, the Fantastic Four getting their own uh, focus and all that kind of stuff. You know, somebody even like Hawkeye in the Avengers films, you couldn't do a Hawkeye movie. You would have to do a S.H.I.E.L.D. movie that features Hawkeye and Black Widow. So right. you couldn't do, say, like, Beast as the main character in a movie. Or right. you probably couldn't even do Xavier. Maybe Magneto. I could see maybe him being okay for one movie. Well, I mean, I remember X-Men First Class was supposed to be X-Men Origins Magneto. Right. So that's why he was a big focal point in that movie, and it started out with him as a kid. Yeah. And I actually think that was the far better choice of where to go. Right. Because that ended up being a really good film. And I don't know if they would have been able to pull off a whole Magneto movie. But if there, anybody could get it at that, he's a possibility. I certainly wouldn't sit through a whole movie dedicated to fucking Warpath or something. <laughs> well, I think First Class basically was Xavier and Magneto's movie. I mean, you had all the other characters, and I mean, it made Jennifer Lawrence popular. It made, uh, I can never remember the guy's name, but uh, Beast. It made, younger, yeah, made the younger guy playing Beast more popular. But overall, I would call that movie Xavier and Magneto's film. Yeah. X-Men Origins. X-Men. <laughs> <laughs> so when they do the time travel thing, though, that is something that they could have ended up making that just too much of a crutch for this movie. And having that basis of the comic books to go back on ended up providing a solid enough background that they could build upon that as a foundation and use the other films to flesh out the other characters and to go back and pick out certain points and do that. I think that that probably ends up being a better story than probably what the comic book is. Although, I mean, that's, there might be people out there that are like, that's blasphemy. That was so much better without reading it. I can't tell, but I just damn sure better than the, uh, the two episodes of the animated show, which if you guys are interested in hearing our thoughts about that, go back and check the fan tracks episode that we did for that. Cause there's so many things funny about that show. Um, time travel storyline though. I'm giving it a hit as well. Yeah. I mean, one of my favorite movies, uh, are the first two Terminator films and that deals heavily with time travel. So, I mean, if I can sit there and watch those films and love, love them, and accept time travel in there. Like you said, time travel is used as a crutch in a lot of films, but I think it was executed very well here. 
that, like I said uh, before we got started, that you weren't just sending, like, full bodies and, like, teleporting people and objects through time, but, like, it was dealing with consciousness and just putting it in your younger body through time. I mean, it, that gets into some philosophical things, I guess, about what consciousness is and how you can do that, but that's actually a, a, a jumping point into one of the cons for the film that I had. Is where the hell did Kitty get that power anyway? <laughs> that's yeah that's a, a real issue with the movie when it comes to the the plot um i would think if anything that would have to be xavier doing that or at least rogue when she got to keep her powers could have just been like oh well i just picked this up from someone and did it i would have even accepted that yeah but I, yeah i would have thought xavier would have been the logical choice i thought without trying to read any spoilers about the movie, I had thought originally that there was going to be some sort of a connection between Kitty, Xavier, and Blink. And it was going to be take like the combined efforts of all three of them to do it. And yeah. Instead of just Kitty holding her fucking hands around uh, <laughs> Logan's head. Like blue light kind of shining out. Right. How the hell she got that power, what the hell that means, I have no idea. That makes no sense. And that actually is going to be my first miss. <laughs> It's one of those things that I think the writers and the director were kind of just like, look, we're going to do this, and we're just going to hope no one notices. <laughs> and if you notice, we'll just say, it happened. Just be like, um, X-Men, <laughs> mutants. mutants, that was a <laughs> supplemental power. Like, how come a beast can act like a beast and he looks that way? Well, because X-Men. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> books right the uh that that power thing that yeah that that's definitely a miss for me um i really would have liked to see xavier xavier be a part of that um maybe even just like one throwaway line where they just said like uh they they taught kitty how to do this or something but i mean they even kind of explained it more as um like kitty found this out on her own and had to explain it to them which is kind of odd. Like, how do you just find out that you can sit there and hold somebody's head and send them back in time? Right. Like, how do you accidentally do that? <laughs> Another thing to bring up about the time travel stuff is uh, this is something that we were talking about immediately after the movie had ended. They did not explain the time jump between the Wolverine and Days of Future Past. Now, at the end of Wolverine, there was that one little end cap scene where Wolverine's walking through the airport, and there's been some kind of a time jump where, at the end of the movie, he has his bone claws. Yet, they're showing that he has his adamantium claws back. Right. They didn't bother explaining it. And then at the same time, you know, Magneto pops up and uh, so does Xavier and Xavier is alive and they don't bother explaining that either. That was another thing. I think somewhere they did explain it. I don't know if it was cut out of the Wolverine, if it was cut out of X3, but supposedly he had like a twin brother who was comatose and he was able to put his consciousness in the comatose body. Like, I have no clue. They didn't explain it. They cut the scene out if it even did exist. And it was just like, hey, Xavier's back. Hey, remember Magneto making that chess piece twitch? 
oh, well, that means he has his full powers back, even though he got hit with that cure. So you know what? I would have just done one quick line about how um, how Jean had killed Xavier in the movie. She kind of disintegrates him. Right. Why not just say something like she didn't actually kill him. She, like, I don't know, transported his matter or something like that. And it reformed. Right. Yeah. I If I can believe that she can explode human beings and stuff like that i'll buy into that too i mean it is the x-men series if i fucking bought into uh kitty pride doing that shit then i'd be okay with xavier coming back to life like that but right uh, and we had you know two different moira mctaggart's we had the the doctor and the cia agent mm-hmm. they've had a lot of continuity stuff like that so that would be something that it would be a decent enough explanation but Maybe they just figured, you know what? People aren't going to be asking that many questions, and we'll see with <laughs> that. But, but they What's didn't the say problem? that time jump though between the end of the Wolverine and the airport scene, let alone the end of the airport scene, and now there's fucking Sentinels out. Like <laughs> and that the the end credit scene where he's in the airport was supposed to be like maybe two to three years after the Wolverine. Maybe. I can't remember if that was in the movie and it said that or if it was afterward I read it. But like I was expecting cuz the comic book came out in 2014 or 2015. Well, not come out. It was set there, wasn't it? It was either 2014 or 2015. I think it was 2013 actually. Oh, it was 2013? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, it was somewhere around right now. Right. So I was wondering like well is does that mean it's going to be now and I think they even said that they went 50 years into the past. And if that's true, then if it was 1973, that should be, what, 2023? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, if they're saying 50 as an exact number and not just, oh, about 50 years, then I guess we could assume it's about 2023. Which is, like, not only do you need to figure out how did he get his adamantium claws back, but how many years had gone by where the Sentinels were out there doing this kind of stuff where nothing happened. Because if 1973 is when Boulevard Trask is killed and the Sentinel program is put into place, the Sentinels must have been doing something between 1973 and 2014 or whatever. I think they said that they were doing research on that once they got Mystique's blood, they were working on it. What I don't know is why did they never try to go after them if she had been captured? Because this means, as far as X1, X2, and X3 are concerned, this had been a thing already. Right. So why weren't they like, hey, remember when Mystique was captured in the 70s? Why don't we like try to make sure they didn't do anything with that? <laughs> or like, you know, X1 and X2 and X3 and all that, they're sitting there going, holy crap, these mutants are doing a lot of stuff. Even though we're not completely figured out with the Sentinels yet, can we just send some of them out to go kill these bastards? right and i mean they had that thing was was it x2 or was it x3 where like the start of the movie looked like a dystopian future and it turned out to just be the danger room and wolverine like took the head off a sentinel that was x3 that was x3 i mean those things were gigantic right and they, they were the size of the comic book sentinels like was that supposed to be like they knew what sentinels were like the 70s like he had the robot ones and they defeated them already and they were just saying hey let's make them fight one that's like 50 stories tall or 
that's that's some another kind of miss to me was the the lack of clarification of the time jump stuff. Right. Uh, is that a hit or miss for you? Probably miss. Yeah, that was a miss. And also, why in the future Wolverine had gray hair? Like not gray hair, but if you notice, he had those Mister Fantastic gray streaks on the sides of his head. It's like if Wolverine is supposed to heal and stuff, why is he graying? Yeah. Yeah, that's I mean, a nice little thing. <laughs> you could always... I mean, there was a comic called... what was, Wasn't it called Old Man Logan? Yeah, they actually are rumoring that that might be the next one. Okay, so I mean, he's not immortal. It's just since the 1800s when he was a kid, he's finally starting to become old in like the 2020s or whatever. Or at least he just dyed his uh, <laughs> side of his hair. Yeah. He just, like, spilled some bleach, and he's just like, ah, fuck. All right, well, I got the Mr. Fantastic going on. That's fine. <laughs> but that was another miss for me um, about the whole future thing. Not just the gray hair, but, like, I had said this to you after the movie had concluded. Like, they had that um, end credit scene, which was supposed to be teasing X-Men Apocalypse. But the rumors I had heard were that X-Men Apocalypse was taking place in the 80s. So it's going to be about 10 years after the events of Days of Future Past in the past scenario. So if that's true, but we already know Wolverine has a happy future, then doesn't that kind of make whatever happens in X-Men Apocalypse irrelevant? Right. We already know it's going to be a happy ending anyway. And you know that if they're keeping the same continuity, none of these characters can die in it. Right. Like, you can't kill off Beast. You can't kill off Mystique and all that. You would have to only kill off the people that you don't see in that final scene, which is like, what are you going to do? You're going to introduce, like... Um, which means Xavier's got to be alive. Storm's got to be alive. Bobby and Rogue have to be alive. Gene. I, we never saw Magneto. We don't, so he doesn't have to live. Uh, I don't think we ever saw Mystique either, so she doesn't have to live. But I mean... You kind of just cut yourself down. Where really what I thought would have been cool. It, it was really cool that we got to see Cyclops again for the end. It was cool that we kind of got to see Rogue and we got to see that everything was happy in the future. I would have just been happy if Wolverine had woken up and he saw that futuristic little uh, globe thing for his alarm clock. And he kind of opened the door and you heard Gene just say, hey Logan. Or like good morning or something like that, and he smiled and it cut. That would have been enough. Uh, see, I would have been annoyed at that. <laughs> it's just like you said, like now knowing that all these characters are in a happy future and we're not going back to those old characters, it still means that's the future. That is the future of this new continuity. So I mean, either you have to play it small. And if that would have annoyed you, I mean, I guess that would have been a little annoying now that the words are out of my mouth and it's not in my head. But um, you either have to not see Logan in the future, which, honestly, you kind of had to. You kind of had to close that end off a little bit. You couldn't have just left it ambiguous. But, I mean, just it kind of ties your hands a little bit. Yeah. Because now you know some characters have to survive to their old age. Yeah, that could be a mess, the whole... You know, spoiling the fact that Apocalypse turns out okay. Yeah. Uh, something else that we were talking about before um, uh, when it came to the plot, that it was just an interesting little thing. And when you brought this up at the time, I was just like, I didn't even think about it, was 
The fact that they did not overplay the 70s. Yeah. Like, you knew it was in the 70s, the movie was taking place in that year, but it's not like, 70s, disco! They mentioned, like, Vietnam, that you saw the clothes, the cars, but they, like, you had some jokes here and there. You obviously had to, since Wolverine was from the future. But other than that, like, it was just daily life in 1973. Right. The joke about the, I get all three stations, and even PV- PBS, like... He's like, all three. Yeah. Like, that, those were nice ways of tying it back to the 70s. There was, it's funny enough to think that in a movie that had to deal with being in the 70s, we didn't see this. But in Spider-Man 3, we saw somebody walking around in the streets doing fucking disco dancing yeah so that just goes to show you how much of a fucking miss uh spider-man 3 is (laughs) but that was good i actually like that a lot and i didn't even think about that the entire movie until you brought that up nobody's sitting there saying groovy nobody's uh doing the whole far out man and like uh 60 stuff that's still kind of um like leaving the uh the public consciousness, because, I mean, some stuff carries over. It's not like 1969, everybody stops being hippies. 1970, they all start dressing like, uh, what's his name, uh, Travolta in Saturday Night Fever. Like, right. And you know, I know they had little things. They had jokes. Like uh, when Wolverine started going from future to past, when his consciousness was breaking a little bit, and past Wolverine kind of woke up a little bit and like had no idea what was going on. Uh, Xavier even said, like, I think you took some bad acid or something like that. <laughs> right. Like, that was overplayed. It was, it was cultural. It right. was somebody probably would have said in 1973. Yeah, and even little bits of technology here and there. I mean, there was a nice little part with Xavier's office, and he's just got this big tape recorder behind him, which, mm-hmm. funny enough, has a, a big X on it, which was just like, ah, saw it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one of the huge thing that ties it back to the seventies that I was just like, fuck yes, this is awesome. It's a huge hit for me. JFK's assassination. Mm-hmm. That is awesome. I absolutely loved that. And I actually loved it fine enough. If they would have just said that Magneto tried to kill the president, that would have been fine. Oh yeah. But then when you, when they say that JFK was a mutant and he was actually trying to bend the bullet away from him. Right. That just made it that much better. And right. I put it as a, a partial miss on uh, my review in a way because I said, like, this is not a miss of, like, this is stupid or this is bad or whatever. This is a miss of they specifically teased that he's a mutant and wanted me to want more. And I fucking do. Like, right. Just tell me. Like, just tell me more. Do a little one shot comic that tells me, like, what JFK's powers were. So that's the. He's stupid the little angry fan of me going like, no, come on, please tell me more. Uh, but it, it really is, uh, you know, it's, it's not really a miss. It's a, it's a hit uh, in disguise because of that, because I want to know more because that is so damn intriguing. Right. And it was cool enough that they had Bolivar Trask say, you know, you can get a lot of this technology at Lockheed and Boeing, but, right. uh, you know, whatever. And I was just like, oh, Lockheed. Yeah, you know, because I follow conspiracy theorist kind of stuff every once in a while. And just the idea of like, oh, Lockheed's working on this kind of stuff would be interesting. But the JFK assassination was fucking awesome. Right. 
it completely ties in the conspiracy theory of the bent bullet. And they even bring it up when they break him out of the Pentagon in his little concrete prison where he said, where uh, Xavier says to him, like, uh, you had to have been involved. Nobody else could have bent a bullet like that. Right. I just thought that, that was uh, one of the best things that they thought about when it came to this movie. Kudos to whoever tied that together and, uh, especially to whoever said, you know what? Why don't we make it instead of him killing JFK? That JFK was a mutant, because right. that would make that would make sense. I mean, in this world, at the very least, this uh, X Men universe, it would make sense if they killed JFK because they found out that he was a mutant and that they didn't want him in um, control. Right. Um, and then um, bouncing off from that, uh, just because uh, I had mentioned about the concrete prison and when they broke him out. How fantastic. Considering the lead-up of this movie, I thought it was just going to be like an utter crap fest. But how great was Quicksilver? Uh, you know, that actually should uh, should move us on into the next set of things. Uh, talking about characters themselves. We'll go right into Quicksilver that way. Okay. Uh, Quicksilver, yeah, he could have really sucked. And he ended up being actually one of the coolest parts of the movie. Yeah, and I mean, they made him insanely powerful. Like, he's just not fast. It's like you can't even blink, and he's already done, like, so much. He moves at a different plane than we do, just about. That's how they should be doing the Flash. Mm-hmm. None of this crap where it's, like, uh, the Smallville series, where he runs really fast, but he really only kind of sprints and all that. No. Right. You need to go with the being able to think faster, speak faster, you're bored with everybody because they're not moving fast enough, that kind of stuff. That when, actually was done well. Yeah, when they showed him in his like little basement bedroom at his house and he's literally like doing he he's playing ping pong with himself, then he's going and he's doing something else, then he's eating something, then he's playing uh pong or something on the on this little arcade thing. Just to show that he just has no attention span. But then all of a sudden, we're like, we need you to break in somewhere. And he's like, oh, that's against the law, you know. And they're like, well, only if you get caught. And it's like, uh, we need you to break into the Pentagon. And he just stops playing his game, and he just stares. Like, oh, my God, I need to do this. <laughs> I will say one thing that is a miss, though. He still looked stupid. Yeah, I mean, it makes a little more sense in the context of the 70s. I guess like he still would have been a little goofy in the seventies still or like with the goggles and shit, but he made a little more sense. Like if he was walking around now, you'd look like something was wrong with him, but at least in the seventies, people would have just thought he was kind of a goofy kid. Actually. Now he probably would be totally accepted by some kind of a weird click. <laughs> some kind of a dumbass goggled click. Right. I, I did like the fact that he needed goggles. So at moving at such a speed, at least his eyes were totally affected. They got that right, at least. Yeah, and, and they did the little thing with holding Magneto's head so he doesn't get whiplash. Yeah, and also the fact that I did like that if you notice, he had little uh, objects tied around his belt. And I noticed in the one scene where he's running around on the wall that one of them was the duct tape. <laughs> I didn't even bother to pay attention to that. Yeah. And one thing I didn't realize that, well, I, I realized it after the fact, I didn't realize it during the movie, is why does he put headphones in to listen to music if he's moving faster than the music's playing? 
Hey, you know what? Yeah, I didn't really think about that. Because while he's doing all that, it's assumed that we're hearing the song that he's hearing. But what the hell's the point? Yeah, unless he's got it on fast forward. Yeah, or if it's like... I don't know. I guess since they don't exactly explain what his powers are, I, I don't know. Maybe it's like whatever is with him when he's moving fast moves at his pace. Like uh, the speed force kind of thing that they did with the Flash? Right. So if he's got his headphones in and he's moving at his speed, that the music is just moving with him through like some sort of temporal displacement. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. But I mean, that one scene was particularly funny and everybody seemed to laugh in the theaters about that. Oh, yeah. How he just would tap somebody, but because he's moving so fast, it kind of like equilibrates itself into a huge hit. Right. And that's the um, infinite mass punch kind of theory when it comes to the Flash. You know, you build up enough speed and you can basically punch a hole through the universe and whatever. Uh, yes. Thankfully, they weren't doing that in this one, but that was cool. And um, something else that was interesting about that was the quick little reference that he throws at when he says, you know, my mom used to know somebody who could control metal. I fucking loved that scene. It just... And then uh, Michael Fassbender was interviewed after the movie and they're like is magneto quicksilver's father and he just explicitly said yes <laughs> he doesn't cut the crap the x-men producers might have been like "Ooh, you probably shouldn't have said that but he's fucking michael fassbender right and everybody knows it if you follow the comics yeah the one part i didn't like about that is i mean they never say it it's never stated it's never hinted but there is that little girl in the pink princess dress that you kind of assume is Scarlet Witch. But then if Magneto's the father, you're assuming that might have been just a one-time thing. So the fact that they were twins would have worked. But he's obviously like 16, 17 maybe. But the girl's got to be like 8. Right. So hopefully that wasn't necessarily her. (laughs) Right. So I'm hoping like... I think it was you said. Like, uh, maybe she was at the mall or something. Right, yeah. Just go, like, no, that was, uh, I don't know. He was supposed to be babysitting some other neighbor's kid that day or something. <laughs> right. There is some kind of a deleted scene that they said that they had out there. And um, I think it's Wolverine who interacts with her, but I don't yes, remember for sure. Just a little bit, I think. Yeah, but I didn't really watch the scene. So, um, so Quicksilver, he's. He's kind of a 50-50 for me. I mean, the character is a hit. The look of the character, total miss. I think he looked like such a douchebag. Yeah, so it makes me wonder, though, what Joss Whedon's going to do with his Quicksilver. I think he's going a total, totally different route. Yeah, but it's going to make me wonder because I loved this Quicksilver. I thought I was going to hate it, but I loved him so much but I don't want to see it rehashed, but at the same time, I don't want to see it totally changed. Yeah. But, I mean, if if Avengers Quicksilver does move like this Quicksilver did, there's almost no person who can challenge him. So, I mean, he's got to slow down a little bit. Yeah. I still don't know what they're going to do with the Scarlet Witch, too. I, I'm not a fan of the Scarlet Witch character, and I actually think that Quicksilver would be so much better if he wasn't tied to Magneto or anything like that. But yeah, again, that's personal preferences and stuff. Well, which was great about this movie that uh, because Avengers is tied down a little bit in what they can say, 
that this movie can explicitly make the jokes that they are Magneto's kids and stuff. Right. And they can, they get to call the mutants, which Whedon can't do. So, so Quicksilver's out of the way. Let's uh, start talking about some other characters here. Um, let's go back to the big one, Wolverine. Uh, we talked about the Bone Claws, and we talked about how it was good that he used uh, that he was the one sent back in time and all that. Um, I, there's not really too much more that I would say that you can really pinpoint about Wolverine. Hugh Jackman just kills that character. I I I hate the uh, the mini Wolverine from the comics and stuff. I wish that they would just change him to be Hugh Jackman the way that he's been doing. <laughs> um, and one thing that I did think was really cool humor uh, bringing that up again, the metal detector scene. I yeah, that was great. That was hilarious. And uh, there was somebody um, sitting in uh, my section of the uh, audience. I'm not sure if you would have heard them because you were you know, a couple seats away. But mm-hmm. um, when that happened and Wolverine goes through the metal detector and it doesn't go off and he's all surprised, everybody's laughing in the auditorium. And this one uh, woman turns to her boyfriend or husband or whatever and she's like, I don't get it. Why <laughs> is everyone laughing? <laughs> and he just turns around and he's like, he's got metal in him normally. And it usually goes off and she's like, so why is this funny? He's like, cause it didn't go off and he expected it to. Right. Cause the metal and they like, he, he's like still going on and it's like, oh, she doesn't get it. Like move on, you know, <laughs> Don't her go with somebody who already knows it. Right. It's like, ah, oh, they broke up after that. But, yeah. but that was the, great. I did like the little nod. Uh, when Magneto brings down the stadium on the white house and Wolverine's trying to fight, the sentinel and his bone claws are like breaking against it because he's not used to it and then he tries to attack magneto and magneto makes a comment like well imagine if they were made of metal i think he says that earlier in the movie actually i wasn't i think it's um when they're still kind of like friends was that on the airplane uh it might have been the airplane stuff was pretty good i like that a lot yeah (laughs) <laughs> the whole like you gotta pick that shit up like <laughs> that stuff classic wolverine stuff i mean he knows his character so damn well and he just he kills it and and he even slid in the uh typical bub yeah you gotta say bub yeah uh well that brings us to magneto um fastbender is another thing he he gets magneto and he's just awesome at it. Magneto is one of my favorite X-Men characters out of any X-Men character that's ever existed. I'd put him top two or three, probably. Um, I always liked the Cyclops. I always liked Wolverine, you know, et cetera, like that. But I always really, really liked Magneto. He can be done really badly sometimes. A lot of the old comic book uh, television shows, like the animated um uncanny x-men thing that came out before kitty pride and the x-men or whatever uh that was a little bit weird the whole he's magnus and you know i i like my my magneto as um max eisenhart slash eric luncher not magnus oh that crap um fastbender is awesome though he does that part really well he's totally another hit for me he has it down pat you believe everything that he's saying you think that he's got enough conviction behind him that it makes sense and uh, nothing but positives for me on that one too yeah the only thing i can think of that would be a complaint for me 
It happened at the end of First Class, and it happened towards the end of this film. Is he plays a kind of Magneto that you would expect him to be like comic book Magneto. Like, he's calculating, he's cold towards humans, but cares about mutants. But just, it, there's something about the way he plays it that once he puts on the typical costume, doesn't make sense. What do you mean? I don't know. It's just the way, he, like, the way I imagine Eric in the first class film and in Days of Future Past, it just, the way he plays it, it kind of becomes goofy when he puts the helmet on. I don't know. Like, well, the, fir- the first problem I have is the first movie, it looked like it was made of metal. And the second one, it looked like it was made of stone or something. Yeah, that was, it did look like it was a little bit like concrete or something. Yeah, and at the very end of first class, he's in like the typical red outfit. And then he kind of gets into a similar one in this one. But like I said, like, I don't know why. I can't really explain it, but something about the way he plays the character, I think, so realistic. Like, he makes me believe that this person can control metal and stuff. That once he puts on the helmet and the cape and the red outfit, it kind of just breaks that reality a little bit for me. You think it would look a lot better if it was all black or something? Even if he didn't wear it. I know that would kind of break from Magneto, but... I don't know why he wears it. Like, there's no explanation why he goes from, like, a trench coat and, like, street clothes into this helmet and cape and red suit. Like, there's no transition. There's no, like... Like, he gets the helmet in first class and he wears it for a reason. So the helmet makes sense to me. But, like, why he goes with red, there's, he's, he never seems to have affinity for that color. He, there's no reason why he would dress up. Because like, that's what it seems to me, like, he's playing dress-up. And I don't know why. He's a showman. There you go. <laughs> His mutant power is to look fabulous. There you go. But like, does it ever like occur to you, or am I just kind of crazy here? But hmm. all right, Magneto, hit or miss? Oh, definitely, a hundred percent a hit. It's just that one thing that kind of makes me think a little bit. Now, Xavier is an odd case in this too. Um, they. There's a little bit something weird about it. Um, I gotta call bullshit on one thing a little bit. If mm. they say that they introduced the storyline about him being able to walk because of the story, I don't think that necessarily was the case. I mean? think that this was a little bit more of service to James McAvoy, where he's not just in a wheelchair the entire time. Yeah. And they gave it a good enough reasoning for why they could do that. I mean, that's something that I can really praise a lot is the choices that they made in these movies aren't always the best, but in this one, they made a lot of choices that made sense. And if they were sitting around a conference table and going, look, we shouldn't have McAvoy in the chair the entire movie, because then how are they going to get out of the Pentagon and stuff like that? Uh, Let's try to figure out a reasoning why. They figured out a good enough reasoning for getting around that, so kudos to them. Um, but, uh, man, the idea of the Xavier character being in that kind of a way is both entertaining and disappointing at the same time to me. Um, it's, it's kind of odd because I view Xavier as this kind of infallible person in a lot of ways. And it was really interesting to see him as somebody who isn't like that. But yeah. 
now that's going to kind of make me think like you if I look back and I rewatch X-Men 1 or X-Men 2 or something like that I'll be like you were kind of a bastard you know <laughs> well you know it, it kind of made sense to me at least like at the end of first class where you're in the 60s I mean we were introduced to the first X-Men movie and if if you're keeping with when it was released or whatever being the year it is it was what like 2000 I think so. Maybe so 99 you, even. Yeah. So let's say then if this was 19, what was it, 1962? Something, something like Something, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's about 40 years. So, I mean, if that means there's 40 years of Xavier School for Gifted Children and 40 years of X-Men, it kind of is odd a little bit to me. Because, I mean... In the comics, his first students were Scott and Gene and all them. And they kind of do that well in this movie when he tells Xavier before he goes back and stuff, like, find us, like, guide them, Scott, Gene, remember these names, stuff like that. I liked that. But, like, if you had him since the 60s being the Professor X that we know, kind of muddles that a little bit, I guess. It kind of makes it like that. I mean, that's four decades that is a very long time so i mean it made sense to me that somewhere in that time he had doubts he was young i mean beast the entire uh first class film was trying not to be who he was so it made sense to me that he found a way to kind of try to reverse it and he came up with that i mean they show he's clever and he's very intelligent so he came up with that serum that would heal his spine but take away his powers. And then that brought up the moral question of who Xavier is. Like, is he willing to spend his life in a chair if it means using his abilities and helping others? It definitely ended up being a good storyline for the movie. So that's I, why, I, overall, I definitely give that a hit. Yeah, but I do understand your argument of they probably only did that because they were sitting there like, we don't want him to be in the chair at all. Right. Yeah. So it's one of those things, not that it was a brilliant storytelling device, but just that it was a good move on their part for something they didn't want to have to do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just like the Kitty Pride thing. Of, well, yeah. we don't really want Kitty to be the main character in this, do we? Um, oh, let's talk Kitty real quick then. Uh, we already mentioned about how the hell does she get that power. Um, what else it was. Fixed? Better. It was cool to see that since she was the main character of the comics that they did make her a principal character in this. Yeah. One thing, uh, I believe it was established in X3 where Bobby and Rogue were having problems and he kind of started becoming interested in Kitty. Where uh, they showed that relationship was still existing in the future. Because I think there was one point where he kind of held her hand before she worked on Logan. But then when the uh, when the movie ends and Logan's in the new future, you look and Bobby's talking to Rogue. So I actually had that listed here under cons. I had Iceman plus Kitty, then Iceman plus Rogue. So it kind of eliminated an entire relationship. I actually thought that that was a positive. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I don't know. There's something that bothers me about that too, but in this universe it's a little bit different. In my mind... It's Gambit and Rogue. Yeah. And it's Kitty and Colossus. So 
I, I think if I'm remembering correctly, that end scene where they had um, everybody in together, I think that Kitty and Colossus were together. Were they? I think that it was Colossus that was standing next to her teaching yeah. a class. Yeah, they were teaching a class together. I mean, there was no implications. Not for I... a romantic thing, but since they they clearly have paid attention to the comics and all that, and they made it obvious that Iceman is with Rogue again, Right. I thought that that was kind of their way of going, like, look, we're not explicitly saying this, but Kitty and Colossus get together instead. Like, right. So that was kind of cool. Um, Good nod without coming right out and saying it. Right. Kitty, other than that, really is kind of expendable. Yeah. You know, she did what she was supposed to do. I'll give her a hit. Yeah, they, they made her more important than she had to be by giving her a power that was completely unexplained. Right. But outside of that, it was a nice nod to the fact that she was important in the comics. Yeah. Um, speaking of hit, wanting to hit that, Mystique, she... Uh, <laughs> terrible <laughs> joke. Uh, she was uh, actually a real... Um, focal point of this movie and mystique has been a character that i've always been a fan of to an extent she's never the first couple people that i think of when you mention x-men but she is one of my favorite villains that they have and i think that you kind of can't do an x-men movie without mystique but she shouldn't be one of the biggest biggest focal points and actually this ended up being okay yeah, they make her a little more important than I think she needs to be. Probably just because it's Jennifer Lawrence doing it, but also because Rebecca Romaine's character was important in the old X-Men. But, like, they keep trying to play with this notion that she was clearly a bad guy in the original trilogy. But in this one, they keep trying to play this notion that she can be, like, an anti-hero or something like that. Right. That she can, like, switch sides between good and bad. She could change a lot of stuff, but she really shouldn't change that much. She should be a villain. Yeah, but I did like... like Rebecca Romaine brought an interesting fighting style to Mystique. The fact that they made her naked when usually she has that like white dress in the comics. Or am I just thinking too much of the uh, 90s cartoon? Um, at the very least, the 90s cartoon. I think she's got it in the comics and stuff too, though. Well, she's yeah. got some different... Yeah, everybody's got some different outfits, but... Yeah, but I guess it made sense they made her nude. Because how else is she supposed to change what her outfit looks like? Still, she's got to get fucking cold. <laughs> yeah. But um, she, Rebecca Romain brought in, in, because of that, she had a very interesting fighting style. And what I noticed and what I liked is that Jennifer Lawrence started doing that. Like those fight scenes where she would fight some of the guys, she fought like Mystique in the old series. And that was fantastic that they were able to transition her like that. Which... By the way, this is just a character study thing. This isn't just this film itself, but Mystique in general. Mm-hmm. How the fuck does she make clothes? I always just kind of figured she could change her skin to whatever. So I think the clothing is her skin. I don't know. Because it's like, not only can she replicate clothes out of being naked, but... She also replicates voices. And... Right, her vocal cords can change, so it's not just skin. Right, so I don't know, but it's kind of weird. Yeah, and she turned into Trask at one point. So she can obviously change her size, because he's a little guy. Right. I don't know. I, I think in this case, she's another hit for me. 
I don't want to see another movie where she's the principal character. I think that they should not make her like one of the main characters in um, Apocalypse. But I yeah. could get down with the idea of her being one of the four horsemen in the Apocalypse. Hmm. Well, obviously they teased the four horsemen when they showed Apocalypse in the end credit scene. But I would I want- assume no matter what, they got to do it. Yeah, I, I was wondering, they obviously showed him in ancient Egypt where his roots are, but they he, they kind of he kind of looked like a scrawny little kid. But I guess he's going to become the apocalypse we know. But they did show four horsemen in the background. And I was and I'm wondering like he's immortal, but are the horsemen? Uh. Or do they change with like whatever generation it is? I, I don't remember Apocalypse too much from the comics because I didn't read X Men like I read others. So I don't know. T- I know about Apocalypse, but I never really read about him. Well, I know in the animated series they made Mystique really heavily involved with Apocalypse. So mm-hmm. I wouldn't be too surprised if she, you know, is made a principal character of that. But I hope she kind of takes a little bit of a backseat. But I still thought it was a hit. What do you think? Yeah. Hit or miss? It was definitely a hit. Or you're saying Mystique, though, right? Not Apocalypse? Right, yeah. We're not touching about Apocalypse 2 yet, much yet. Yeah, uh, Mystique was definitely a hit for me. And I did like how uh, Magneto turned on her like that when he thought it was going to be for the good of mutants. Yeah. Uh, there's one other main character that we haven't talked about yet, and then we got to break down the littler ones and, you know, whatever. Um, but that one is Beast. And I thought that Beast was kind of just a supporting character that did his job really well. Um, that probably was my favorite thing that they've had of Beast so far, other than just the idea of Kelsey Grammer playing him, because Kelsey Grammer was the perfect fucking casting for Beast. Yeah, and I, I'm so happy they brought him back. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that was so good. Um, but be, having Beast uh, play that real um, supporter for Xavier is exactly what he should be. So, right. um, you know, total hit for me. Yeah, and I noticed, um, again, just because I didn't really read the X-Men comics too much, the Beast that I am aware of is the one from the 90s cartoon, which, I mean, never has to be like the comics, but that's just what I was used to. So I'm used to Beast, like, reciting poetry and, like, quoting Shakespeare and shit. Right. Notice, like, they never do that in the films really is is that who beast is like that's who beast is to me but is that who beast is to you kind of yeah i really wish that they would throw a little bit more out there in there a little um oh well you know tolstoy says this or something like that like yeah but maybe he's too busy recording stuff from paris instead (laughs) so i actually know there is one other character that we got to talk about that's a big one bolivar trask and the sentinels in general um This is where I have a little bit of a negative from. Uh, I explained this in my review point on the fanboysanonymous.com, but I liked what they did with Bolivar Trask a hell of a lot better than what happened with X-Men 3. This is definitely more Bolivar Trask than what that one was. But if I'm totally honest, I think casting Peter Dinklage was a mistake. And it's not from him not being a good enough actor or anything. I thought that that was, you know, he did the job serviceably. But there were people that were snickering in the audience when they saw him. 
Yeah, I did notice that, that they were laughing at the fact that he was short. Right, and that's not supposed to be a focal point. You shouldn't be laughing at this character because he's not a funny character. And they're laughing just because they're like, oh, look at that, he's tiny. And it's like, well, they wouldn't have had that problem if they would have cast somebody who was taller. Now, yeah, but he was a great Trask, though. He did the part really well for that. Um, But at the same time, I kind of think he didn't do it well enough that it justified doing that. Like, there could have probably been, like, 30 more people that could have done the same... uh, What's the way to wear it? Like, um, they could have done it just as good and gotten around that problem. Yeah. I should say. It introduces an odd dynamic, though, not just for the film, but also casting. Like, who's going to sit there and be like, you know, we love this guy. We love Dinklage for the character. But he's short. Mm-hmm. Like, like it, it brings an interesting dynamic. Just, like, what, what do you do when you have somebody who's a great actor and has name recognition behind them, but then you have, like, these idiots who are like, oh, look, they got a midget to play the guy and stuff like that. Right, yeah. And it's like, I always thought, and this is really like kind of a dick move for me to think this though, but I was always sitting there going, Peter Dinklage would be perfect for Modoc. <laughs> uh, he, he never would have been anybody that I ever would have thought of for Bolivar Trask. And he pulled it off. I mean, like, I'm glad that he did Trask well, but I right. still, if I'm totally honest with myself and all that, I still say that that's slightly a miss. Yeah, I mean, it, was, it wasn't a miss for me, but I at least understand where you're coming from. Right. And uh, the Sentinels were a bit of a miss to me as well. They were cool, but they were the same exact thing as the fucking Destroyer and Thor. I did think that when their faces would open up and they would shoot the uh, like lasers or energy beams out. Yeah, an orange just, energy like, beam so- coming out of the face of a shifting metal uh, body. Come on, that's the exact same thing. And that's not what they look like in the comics at all. So it's not like, okay, well, you know, certain characters just kind of look like other characters. No, these were total ripoffs. Yeah, the 70s looked like shorter versions of them. Yeah, I I wanted to see the big ones. Yeah, I wanted to see the big ones too, especially since they kind of teased it next three. Or, like, at the very least, why not make the future ones look a little bit like Nimrod? Yeah. Nimrod's supposed to be, like, the most advanced out of all of them. So, right. you know, they could have done that. They could, even just giving them a red face would have been different in, enough to justify a little bit more, but... Yeah, I yeah. mean, I understand that, but I will say that they were utterly terrifying. The future ones, at least. Like, they were scary, to me, at least. I don't know if they were to you, but at least when I saw them, I saw them as a threat and it was like if i saw this thing in real life coming at me and it was like shifting its hand into a sword i would probably shit myself right and then die (laughs) yeah and i did like when they said that they would copy the powers of the mutants i did notice um oh shit what's her name the uh she's one of the weapon uh programs uh lady deathstrike yeah uh they did if you notice one of the Sentinels made his hands into like his fingers into knives like her. It was a throwback to that character at least. I didn't even notice that. Yeah. Yeah. And they would turn into like other mutants for their powers and stuff. So future people, let's group these all together. Uh, 
Iceman, Sunspot, Colossus, Blink, Storm, Warpath, and Bishop. Uh, Sunspot's never been a character that I've been like, man, they got to do Sunspot. They got to do Sunspot. But that was cool. You got He's a throwaway character, so it's yeah, interesting it, to throw him in there. His power was interesting enough that you didn't have to bring Pyro back. You right. could have just used him, so that was fine. Yeah, and the same thing goes with Warpath. He's a well enough known character that it was interesting to see him on screen, but you're not going to make a a big movie about him. So why not put him in the future and just have him do that? You can't make everybody the main character and Warpath is certainly not going to be that. So cool for that too. Same thing with blink. Yeah. I was just about to say blink worked as just a side character and her power was useful, but it wouldn't have been useful just on her own, but it was useful in conjunction with the others. Right. And, um, Bishop, the basic thing that I can say about Bishop, though, is I thought it was funny that Kitty tells Wolverine it's going to hurt when she sends him back in time. Bishop doesn't cry at all. <laughs> yeah. He's just like, it's fine. I'm going to sleep. <laughs> that was kind of funny. <laughs> uh, but Bishop was Bishop. I mean, he's he was Bishop. That's yeah. it. Like they, they couldn't have done that better. I would have liked to see more of him, though. He is more important in the comics. Yeah. Hey, maybe they could bring him into X-Factor or something. That would have been great, because Bishop and Cable work together a lot, don't they? Yeah, there's a lot of stuff with those kind of combined, and Deadpool, too. Maybe they could bring Deadpool into it that way. Bring Deadpool into one of these things. Because, I mean, they they did Wade Wilson so well in Origins, and then to crap all over him at the end when he's Deadpool. Yeah. Um, so future people, I'm giving them a hit. I'll give them a hit. Um, the one thing that was fantastic though, uh, we had mentioned this in the theater. Uh, I think you brought it up. How many times did Iceman have to die? Before- <laughs> I think it was three times he dies in the movie. Yeah. And then, um, oh, what was the other one? I have a note here. Uh, it was a hit for me, the X-Men death scenes. I mean, when Storm gets stabbed and she's just, like, thrown to the side like she's nothing. Uh, Blink is stabbed, like, three or four times when she's killed. And fucking Colossus, they ripped ass. Yeah, that was, ugh, man. Literally ripping him in half. And while he's made of metal, too, so you hear, like, the metal sound when it snaps. Yeah, that was a good way of getting around showing a bunch of deaths, but then not having to stick to it. Yeah, not having to show the blood and stuff. Well, I mean, just in general of, like, we can kill these characters off, but in the end, they'll be okay. So we can see Storm die on screen, but we don't have to go, oh, ca- crap, we don't, we can't use Storm anymore. Like, yeah, yeah fucking X3. <laughs> <laughs> what was great to me also was that um, when Mystique at the very end has the gun to Trask, usually I can see where this movie's going to go, and I'm like, oh, well, she's not going to kill him, and the future will be happy. But there was a moment, I, I commend Jennifer Lawrence for this, there was a moment when she was holding that gun up, and you saw in the future the Sentinels were coming after them, that I kind of wondered, was she going to shoot him or was she going to drop the gun? She, I did have that doubt, hmm. and that was really cool. So going back to the past people, um, there's two groups of people in the past that we haven't talked about yet. One is uh, the set of people in the war, which yeah. was Havoc, Toad, and two other people, Spiky Head Guy and Vomit Boy. I don't know what the hell their names are. One of them had tattoos, and I remember he, he 
uh, he had a biohazard sign on his hand, and like people started throwing up. Yeah, that was kind of odd. I don't know why they went with that, but um, he might be even yeah. a character from the comics that I completely just am not thinking of or something. But uh, my first reaction with the spiky head guy was uh, maybe this is supposed to be like Spike or something from you know. Uh, yeah. But these were throwaway kind of things. Uh, I still don't like the idea that Havoc is older than um, Cyclops that by that much and stuff. Yeah, I also didn't like, because he was so cool in first class where they were teaching him how to use his powers, that he was kind of just a little tiny bit above a cameo. Like, he was in the beginning, and they had him in the military bit. After that, you don't see him. Yeah. But Which that I was kind of cool. Toad, guess, though. Toad was odd. Yeah, those glasses. And at the very end, when they're talking on TV about mutants... And he's like a fry cook or something. Right. Who the hell would hire him when he's looking like that? Yeah. You gotta trust him with somebody's food? And yet somehow he grows up to be Darth Maul. Right. <laughs> so, I actually, out of all that, I mean, I like the idea that they added those characters into there, but if I'm being perfectly honest, I'm giving that a little bit of a miss. Yeah, also when you tie in uh, X-Men Origins Wolverine, how they're supposed to be like a military Vietnam unit of mutants when Wolverine and his team were a team of mutants, but no one ever tried to dissect them. Right. I mean, okay, they kind of did once um, they were trying to create Deadpool when they were mixing the powers in there and everything. But I mean, other than that, like, I don't know. Like, I guess when you try to put those two timelines, since the supposed to be the same timeline that you have two groups of mutants and one's going to be shipped off to be dissected and the other one's supposed to be William Stryker like five to ten years later right yeah yeah a little bit of this when they when they give him Mystique's eyes to show that she is Stryker then that makes you wonder like is she the one who developed the Weapon X program like if they in the original trilogy she fought Stryker so we know she's not Stryker but she is now yeah, that's going to be confusing going forward. Yeah. Um, the other group is the Dead Ones. Azazel, Banshee, Zoe Kravitz's character, Tempest, and even Emma Frost. They killed them off. I'm so and... glad Banshee and Emma Frost were dead, but Azazel was so cool. <laughs> and, like, what did he do? Did he bang Mystique, and then she gave birth to Nightcrawler, and then she ditched it? Maybe. There was a, a lot of time period where she had to learn Vietnamese and she had to learn how to fight better. And another thing that I didn't think of this in the movie, but I thought of it right afterward. Like first class was like 1962 and now it's like 1963, even if it was 1963 and we're in 73. So it's 10 years and all these characters look like they were from first class. Like they didn't age at all in a decade. Yeah, that's true. Maybe it was like 66 or something like that. Yeah, it could have been. But <laughs> I thought it was funny that they killed the, the a lot of the characters off instead of just kind of leaving them be or something like that. But it was a good way of incorporating that, you know. Why aren't they around? Well, because they're, you know, dead. <laughs> they were dissected, so. Right. Although it's kind of funny, like, I wonder how they killed some of these characters. Like, how they, did they catch they, Azazel? They probably said that he was going to be in... I think the general consensus is that they were going to use them in some program, and I, they probably drugged him. 
Because if you looked at some of those autopsy reports, Jennifer Lawrence, even when she, they showed her, when, even when she became trashed when he talked to the secretary, that she had a tear in her eye. Like, if you looked at some of those pictures, they were fucking, like, torn up. Yeah. They had, they were stitched up, and they looked like fucking Frankenstein, some of them. So, I like the idea that they killed them off. I'm giving that a hit. What do you think? Yeah. I would definitely give it a hit. I would have liked to have seen Azazel because he was so cool in first class. But it's just like probably why they made Havoc a minor character and they just kind of threw him away a little bit. If you had both of them fighting the Sentinels, the battle would have been over. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so you probably had to get rid of some of the more powerful ones. So we talked about action scenes. We talked about plot characters, a lot of this other kind of stuff. Um, one other thing that we didn't really mention that I just wanted to throw out there was a big hit for me, bringing back the X-Men 2 music. Yeah, I did enjoy that. I always loved the animated series, and that's as close as we can get to the animated series theme. So uh, if you're not going do-do-do-do-do-do-do and you're going do-do-do-do-do, hey, I'll buy it, you know. Hey. Close enough. Right. That's another hit for both of us. Um, and uh, the big main topic then to talk about, lastly, I would assume, uh, is the future of the franchise. And that ties into not only continuity-wise, but also uh, X-Men Apocalypse coming soon. So um, when it comes to Apocalypse, uh, that end scene... First off, it told me that I was pronouncing his name wrong all these years. I thought it was Ensabaner, not Ensabaner. So now I kind of feel like a jackass for the past you know twenty years. I've been saying that wrong. Well, uh, I mean, his name is ancient Egyptian, and ancient Egyptian isn't modern Egyptian. So I guess nobody can pronounce his name right except for them. That's true. Um, but I thought that that was pretty awesome. I loved that idea that they were showing him building the pyramids. I don't know what they're building it for, but Hopefully they'll talk about that in the movie. And even though the person playing the character is obviously not going to be, or he damn sure better not be, Apocalypse in the next movie, um, I actually got a kind of bad response from some people. They were saying, like, oh, it looks like a little girl or something like that. Well, you know what? King Tut was, like, an 11-year-old or 12-year-old or something like that. Yeah, he was a child when he was Pharaoh. Right, so... So it makes sense to me that he was young, at least. Right. And he is probably not going to look like that when they go and actually fight him. He should look like, you know, uh, Michael Clark Duncan, basically. (laughs) Uh, So, I mean, Apocalypse is awesome. I love Apocalypse. And I'm totally pumped up when it comes to X-Men Apocalypse. Yeah, I did like that he was building the pyramids and, like, you saw the things flying around in the air and constructing them. The best part of that clip for me was seeing the four men on horseback, because that's a nod to the four horsemen of Apocalypse. But as a whole, it didn't actually do anything for me. Hmm. Like, they already announced that Age of Apocalypse, or, well, okay, just X-Men Apocalypse was going to be the next film. So I already knew to expect Apocalypse. But to just see him kind of standing on the ridge, like with his hands in the air and a hood on, while these things are constructing the pyramids, didn't tell me anything. Like, it didn't tease into the next movie. It just said, hey, look, here's Apocalypse in ancient Egypt, just like the comics say he is. Here's the four... Like, the four horsemen were probably the best part of that, and you didn't even get to see them. 
they were shrouded in black. But still, that was probably the best part. But as a whole, it just didn't do it for me because it didn't tell me any more than I already knew. And I actually completely missed the Four Horsemen. <laughs> yeah, they were in the background. They weren't like... Yeah. It, it was when the camera was panning and then you see his face. Which, I mean, he, was, he wasn't even like pale. He was almost gray in color. Kind of looked like an alien. But um, when they finally show his face, they are on a sand dune in the background. Okay. And the horses aren't like neighing or anything. The horses are just kind of standing there. But they're all four of them right next to each other. That is cool, though. Yeah. Well, I'm going to give that a hit. Are you going to give that a miss? I'm going to... I'll give it a hit, but a lenient hit. Only because, like I said, it didn't tell me anything that I didn't already know going into this, knowing X-Men Apocalypse was coming. But it did show me that they're going to have the Four Horsemen. And even if they don't, just the fact that they nodded that, I will give it a hit for the Four Horsemen of Apocalypse. So the big other one is the continuity, and the main thing that I want to talk about with that, that end scene. Oh, I loved it. I thought that, that was fantastic. I loved the idea that they brought all these people back. And um, I was like so happy specifically just because they had Cyclops there with Gene and that they kept it that Gene was with Cyclops. Right. Because I, I know how easy it could be for people to be like, oh, Gene should just end up with Wolverine because Scott's a dick. No, that's not how it works. Right. And it's not... It's the writer's fault anyway. Technically, Cyclops should be the main X-Men character. They just made Wolverine the main one because he was so popular with Hugh Jackman playing it, which I don't have a problem with that. Wolverine is a great character. But then they started as every movie went. Like, Cyclops was a main focal point in X-Men. But then in X2, he was a little less. And then in X3, they kind of just made him this sobbing, grieving guy. And then they kind of just wiped him out. Right, and he deserved better than that. Yeah. So yeah. at the very least, he deserves to keep his fucking wife. <laughs> yeah. And they kind of screwed him up also in uh, X-Men Origins. They made him like that kid and stuff. And like, it was just that he could have been better than that. And he is better than that. And I mean, in some of the more recent comics, they even allude to him being a bad guy, don't they? Yeah, he kind of turned bad for a little bit. And um, sort of took on like the Magneto role and everything. But I think he got straightened out now. I think that they're going for more of, he is uh, not as much of a boy scout as he used to be. Right. But not like a bad guy. And I also liked in the, uh, the final scene that his glasses were a little more futuristic looking. Yeah. Not exactly the same as wearing like a, you know, some Ray-Bans or something like that. And not wearing a complete visor, but it was sort of a hybrid between the two. Yeah, and I liked that. I thought that that was just awesome. I loved the idea that they brought all them back. I loved that Beast was played by Kelsey Grammer again. I loved that they had the Colossus and Kitty thing, that Rogue's got her powers back, Storm's still there. Yeah, they kind of went the Star Trek route. And they kind of, by doing this time travel thing, they completely wiped all the other movies out of continuity. Like, they probably happened, but not how they happened on film. Right. Which now, you could, from here, if they take the new cast, the only complaint is what I had said before. 
that because you showed the scene at the end, now you know no one's going to die that you saw in the future. Right. Now you know that if Apocalypse rises in the 80s, and, and Xavier says, like, I've got to catch you up on what's happened. So Apocalypse could have been one of those things. But now we know how the movie ends. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I'm going to give that a huge hit. I'm going to give that a hit not only for the fact that that was interesting and fun for me, but also that I think that it means the future is going to be better for the franchise. Yeah, and I like that they're going to go with the young ones, because how many more times can Patrick Stewart and Ian McCallum play those characters? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So... All in all, that kind of gives us um, a, a breakdown of the little bits and pieces. So that means just we need to give a full-on, is the movie itself a hit or a miss? And I say movie is 100% a hit. Definitely. I would give it 100% hit also. So we want to know what you guys think about all these different topics and whether or not you think that the movie is a hit or a miss. Leave a comment below on YouTube. Leave a comment on iTunes, Stitcher, on fanboysanonymous.com, etc., uh, and tell us what you guys think. All these kind of topics, movie and general, you know, is there anything that we missed uh, that you want to talk about? Leave those comments. Tell us what you think. And uh, the only other stuff that we got to do, we got to plug some stuff here. So, anything that you got working on, uh, Sam, that you want to throw out there? Um, I plugged it a few times. I still got to get it up and running, but tentatively, I am operating a Facebook page, Science 101, and I have a Tumblr page for it. Uh, science101blog.tumblr.com. I recently graduated with a bachelor's in chemistry, so I'm trying to kind of give back a little bit with my knowledge of science. And I'm going to be running an online YouTube channel in the future that kind of breaks down different topics in chemistry, physics, related astronomy, like related science courses. And I'll even do problems that I'll grade from like a high school student should be able to do this, and I break it down. So even somebody in their senior-level courses, I'll even break down uh, topics like quantum mechanics and particle physics and stuff like that. Just what I've learned in college, kind of giving back to people who might need help. All right, guys, and for Fanboys Anonymous stuff, keep uh, stay in tune to... Not only the YouTube channel and everything like that, but the website itself. We've got all the other podcasts, the group meeting, fan tracks, Four Real Movie Club, Dace Man Show, Sand and Snow Podcast for the Game of Thrones people out there, so on and so forth. We're going to try to add more and more coming along, and we've got all the articles for the different segments and stuff on the website. And if you are a fan of wrestling stuff, my other website is smartoutmoment.com, which you can also find on youtube.com slash smartoutmoment. And on iTunes and Stitcher, yeah, same old, same old deal. Um, if you are interested in becoming a member of the Fanboys Anonymous team as a writer or an editor or maybe a podcast person or something like that, there's a contact form on the website. Shoot me an email, send in your application, and I'll start talking to you about different things we have going on with that. And uh, that'll do us in for this episode of Review Point on behalf of Sam Lassio as well as the fanboys and the fangirls that couldn't be here tonight. Thank you guys for listening and shooting the breeze with us. We hope you had fun. And uh, outside of leaving those comments below and subscribing and liking the channel and sharing it and all that other kind of stuff, uh, that's really all we got to say. I'm Tony Mango, and I'm a fanboy. See you next time, everybody. <laughs>